0: I am constantly blown away by uh, stories of adventure right here. When it, when I hear. When you learn more about the person and about uh, the circumstances that they did the adventure, I'm blown away that, that people saw an opportunity in their life and just took it. It, it is not given to you most of the time. And for Alinka here, uh, that is certainly not the case. She saw a window of opportunity, a moment in time to do something that she had been dreaming about for over 15 years. She did it despite her spouse, her husband, not wanting her to do it and not knowing if she could. She went for it. And it's not by any means what she does all the time, but it was just this moment this thing came together and she went for it. And so um, I love that because a lot of us think, you know, it's so easy for some of the people on this show to make these adventures happen. But it's absolutely, I've learned from over 500 interviews or so, that's absolutely not the case. I mean, even Bear Grylls, who we talked to last week, even he said that he has to consciously make time for adventure and time in nature. And in fact, uh, we had a conversation in New York city. He spent some time in Central Park that morning just to be around some trees, he said. So if it's important enough uh, for someone like Bear Grills to make time for and something they have to be conscious about, how much more so for uh, the rest of us? And I love Alenca's story. We're here today to talk about her book, which is called She Rides, and about that story of doing that bike trip, which was from Lake Tahoe, California, where she lives, all the way down to the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, doing this journey alone. Scary. Her world was crashing down around her, and she's decided an adventure was what she needed. And so we're going to talk about that. We intentionally don't get into tons of stories about the adventure itself, um, but kind of peripheral stuff, like I tend to do when we have someone who has a book on. I don't want to reveal too much, uh, but it's a great book. I've been reading it. Uh, really enjoyed just kind of the, the people she meets, the things she talks about, the preparation ahead of time, and kind of the circumstances of life and why we even do adventures in the first place. So I encourage you to check it out. You can follow her anywhere uh, listed in the show notes. You can find the book on her website. Prefer getting, getting the book from an independent bookstore first before looking on the uh, the big websites that we all know. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You heard a little bit uh, of Alinka's story in the intro, but we're going to welcome her right now to the episode. And uh, yeah, Linka, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Uh, it's awesome. So excited to be here with you and your listeners. I'm really honored. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we, we th- w- when I started reading your book and getting into this story, it's the perfect story and the perfect kind of episode of what we talk about here. Just people doing adventures things that may have you know been in their mind for a long time uh, life is happening normal life is happening all around the adventure and before and after and it's and it, and it seems one hand so amazing and inspiring and and awesome and on the other hand so relatable too so there's so much about your story I love and I can't wait to dive in but um, what I always ask first is uh, where are you coming from and if that's not home where's home for you
1: well, you know, that's a pretty wide question for someone who is constantly on a search for what the meaning of that word is, and we all have our own ways of relating to that. But long story short, I grew up in former Yugoslavia uh, in a small little country on a northwest corner in Slovenia bordering Italy and Austria, uh, it's a beautiful place. And uh, in the mountains, lots of lakes and rivers, we have uh, even a small coastline. That is my home. And I will always refer to that as home. But as we age, you know, the meaning of that changes as well. Because when I was 20 years old, I moved to uh, Tahoe, by default, uh, and started my own family in Lake Tahoe, California, in beautiful mountains, uh, uh, because it was very reminiscent of where I grew up. Uh, I was a skier, uh, a climber, and uh, I loved the spirit of what people did there, and it just was kind of written on my skin, so I call that my home as well. And then um, as things progressed even further, um, I needed to get away and find my sanctuary in Baja, California on the Sea of Cortez. So that, in a way, is my home as well in a physical sense. But I really think that home is, in a nutshell, to where your people are.
0: So your people are all over the place, is what you're saying. <laughs> Home is a little bit of everywhere for you. A little bit of it a connection is. there. I was just in San Diego, right across from Tijuana. Not not quite Baja, but right at the north side of the Baja Peninsula. So I was right there on the beach for Oceanside, uh, an Oceanside Ironman event. I, that's the company I work for. is partnered with them. And then I immediately had to go to... Uh, Sacramento for an event while I was there I drove up to Tahoe and saw just the record-breaking amount of snow so kind of what you're talking about I got to see those two worlds that you get to enjoy and those two places you call home very recently like last week they're so different it was amazing just how different they both were at thi- like at, within days of each other one is beachy sunny hot the other one experiencing literally 60 feet of snow. It was unbelievable. Um, that is that whiplash for you, having to go back and forth between those two worlds?
1: A whiplash. Right now, I definitely feel anxiety about going back uh, to Tahoe just because we are buried in snow. Even though that I am a snow person, um, I also love, love the ocean and the sun and... We cannot even see our house yet. It's buried above the roof. <laughs> so Jeez. it's going to be a little different coming home this year. Uh, but, uh, it looks like at least the storm system now has, uh, redirected and, uh, you know, we're, we're in for some dry and warm weather. So the snow is melting. It's going to be, you know, I, I think it's exciting that we, um, have so much snow because it's great for the water situation in California and fires and, and everything else that we're dealing with it. But it's extreme. Uh, so yeah, I, I won't lie. I'm a little bit nervous about driving home. But uh, I'm excited because like I said earlier, that is where my people are. That is where my kids are. I'm looking forward to see my kids and my grandkids. And uh, yeah, when you say grandkids, that makes me sound like I'm very old, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't feel old.
0: <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's just a number. I know you've got some grandkids, and and that's well, another reason I'm excited to talk to you is uh, the time of life you did this adventure. But there's a lot leading up to it. There's a lot that leads up to this extreme, amazing experience. And I want to go all the way back to a really pivotal uh, time of your life the the moment you met Reinhold Mesner um, the, you know, iconic, legendary climber and mountaineer. Uh, but before we even jump there, I know that was a really big turning point in your life. What, what, what kind of household did you grow up into? Were your parents adventurous? Did they take you camping? Did they take you out in the Alps? What, what was growing up like?
1: You know, I had such an amazing childhood. I grew up in a very active family. Um, My my mom was a travel agent and she traveled a lot uh, for work and I got to go travel with her on some of the trips to Venice and Salzburg and Vienna and places that she guided trips. Uh, But it was my dad who literally dragged me into the mountains sometimes kicking and screaming you know when you're little you don't necessarily want to walk up the hill so much Um, but there was always reward in the end and he always nurtured me in the mountains Um, and you know we grew up my I have a brother who's just a year older than me we were little ski brats we have had a like a glacier moraine hills behind our house and uh, we skied every opportunity we had and then we were also on a ski team Um, so skiing and mountaineering is basically a way of life uh, and i am just very fortunate that i was able to uh, be introduced to that at a very early age. Uh, I also grew up... 60s and 70s were the golden era of Slovenian alpinism. The Our climbers were coming back from scaling big routes all over the world, and especially in the Himalayas. And uh, the mountaineers and mountain climbers were always my heroes. Uh, my dad... Uh, knew the organizers of the event when uh, Reinhold Mesner and Peter Habler came uh, back from uh, climbing Mount Everest without oxygen, which at that time, that was considered an impossibility. You know, I was 14. I was a little girl. And I got to meet this giant of the mountains. And uh, he's a very real person. He's kind Uh, Actually, I was just in uh, Slovenia this past fall, and I got to uh, see Reinhold uh, Meisner in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia, for his final goodbye tour. It was kind of a full circle for me, uh, for someone who had such an amazing influence in my life.
0: Can can you compare him... What level of, of fame and celebrity would you say he, he is for that region of the world? Um, can, maybe compared to somebody here, like how, how big are these crowds he's drawing? What kind of, how is he regarded in culture?
1: If you compare it to the biggest baseball and football stars in Europe, he is the top of the top as far as. Not just the mountaineer. He is a great persona of, uh, you know, he he wrote many books. He influenced um, a lot of nature conservancy. He's a rock star, you know, kind of a a god to a lot of um, younger mountaineers. But he he has been also critical uh, of some of the new ways of climbing and scaling the mountains and especially what's going on in, in, in the Everest area, uh, which, you know, I used to dream to be the Slovenian woman to climb Everest. That was one of my big aspirations. And I look at what's going on uh, on that mountain now and the Sherpas do all the work. Uh, and, and Meisner has been quite critical of that as well. Uh, traditional mountaineer's, you know don't necessarily look at the new ways of climbing the big mountains and you know Reinhold Meisner does say that without possibility of death there is no adventure and people with the new technology and every possible help that we have out there in the wilderness they forget that you have to be self-reliant out there and it's just the new way of, and I think some of the things have to change in that respect. I'm probably getting off course a little bit to what we're talking about, but uh, I think self-reliance and not putting other people in danger because you went out to do something, it's a big thing. And that was on the back of my mind when I was out on my you know, very remote area on my mountain bike. That was on the back of my mind all the time. I had to be self-reliant. I did not want to have anybody come and rescue me just because I did something stupid.
0: Uh, By some of your family's accounts, the trip you did was not the smartest trip. (laughs) And I think you had to keep the news from your parents even for a while. But before we dive into that, I I do want to say, was mountaineering a big part of your story? Before this experience, because, you know, your adventure was bikepacking. Obviously, mountains were in your life and you went to Tahoe for that reason. But how closely did you follow uh, Mezner's style and influence?
1: I did a lot of mountaineering. I did a lot of winter mountaineering where I had to learn about my own limits was that I don't perform very well when I get really cold. I get hypothermia very easily when I was ski racing, I had a uh, frostbit my feet and my hands. many times actually, I frostbit I had my frostbit uh, on my hands. That can be very painful when you're exposed to cold weather. So I quickly realized I don't do too well on high level mountaineering freezing conditions. I mean, I've always climbed but not not on the not in the Himalayas or the real big mountains, but yeah, mountains were always a huge part of my life. Uh, I did more rock climbing, but you know, in in the winter we did a lot of backcountry skiing, and uh, that also led me into uh, the sport of extreme skiing when I came to Tahoe, and that was when the whole word of extreme first popped up on. Uh, the radar uh with the North Face Extreme team, Uh I was a part of that. It, it's all by default, you know, it's just wherever the, the road kind of takes you. But I did have the skills. I was a, you know, good skier and I had the mountaineering background and it's all related to the mountains, in, including the mountain biking. My mountain bike... Uh, experience I had experience of mountain biking before I went on this trip but I never bike packed before so I figured I figured I'll just figure it out
0: <laughs> So <somehow. laughs> it's something about you that I realized you you, you kind of go and do things and figure it out as you go was that how you got to Lake Tahoe as well and, and found that as as a new home
1: you know it really was I had no idea what where I was going really and what was um I had some connections. It's always been in my nature, Uh, even since I was a very little kid, just wanted to figure things out on my own, for better or for worse. My my dad always used this expression, which is in Slovene language, you know, not necessarily uh, in a good way, but uh, he compared me to a mountain goat. Just, I was very persistent. I just went for it. Sometimes that backfired. But uh, as you grow and mature, I also had learned the skills, almost like survival skills. Um, My my brother and I were always outdoors. My my dad also nurtured us and showed us and taught us. He treated me the same as my brother. Yeah, we pretty much lived in the mountains. And uh, I think it's a great place to learn what your limitations are when you you know, suffer a little bit and get through it. And you learn what you're capable of when, when, when you do that. Um, And that's what adventures are all about. You, you kind of have to, there has to be an unknown factor in, in the adventure. Otherwise it's just a vacation.
0: (laughs) Do you take vacations?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Vacations. I'm not a very good tourist. Do I, it depends what a vacation is. Vacation for me is being down here, for example, in Baja on Sea of Cortez and go kite surfing and wing foiling and mountain biking. That's, that's my style of vacation. Do I go to Venice and go to the museums? And sure, I do that. And I, like I said, that was the other side of my upbringing, but I would not go on a vacation into the cities for for too long of a time. Um, I have to escape into the nature pretty quickly. I, I like active vacations. It has to it has to be something active.
0: I think I'm the same way, and I think a lot of listeners probably are. I do, I do love a good museum. I love a good museum, but it, it, it makes me want to get out and usually explore the places that uh, that they're talking about in the museum. So, well, well, tell me about the idea. We're trying to, you know, what we're doing here is just setting up some of this backstory, some of the influences that led you uh, from your home in Slovenia to your other home in Tahoe, new home. And when you were 20, uh, I guess you had to finish up school in the U.S., um, why the U.S. and why Tahoe? I guess the mountains, but uh, just just take us through what got you there, and this is all leading to this bike ride that you did many years later, but the idea was early on.
1: When I was uh, in college at the university back in Slovenia, um, I studied physical education, and uh, I just wanted to take a semester off. I didn't I mean it's it it was pretty common for people to go teach skiing somewhere else, uh, and my father, who used to work for IBM, had a colleague who worked for IBM in San Francisco, and through him he put me in touch with a family in Lake Tahoe. I was uh, lucky enough. I was gonna go with my friend, my college roommate, Utah. She didn't get a visa and I did. So I ended up going by myself, which totally changed the course of my life, obviously, because if I came with her, I would not have stayed. She was, you know, it's different when you travel by yourself versus if you travel with a group of people or or another person. And uh, at the end of uh, the ski season, after uh, I arrived in Squaw Valley, I felt like I haven't really experienced enough. I was, I was in Tahoe, but I didn't really travel anywhere else. So I extended my stay, went down to the Bay area in San Francisco area, got jobs painting houses because I was a climber. I was able to hang the ropes off the chimneys and I was quite an attraction actually hanging off the ropes and uh, painting houses in the neighborhood, um, on a climbing rope and uh, made pretty darn great money i was also working in shipyards uh, sanding masts and anything else that i could do to earn money so that i could uh, travel and then as it so happens i got an idea to uh, transfer my credits and I got on the uh, ski team at um, University of Nevada, Nevada Reno. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I, I met my first husband. That led me to my thirty-year coaching, coaching in Squaw Valley and Alpine Meadows ski teams. So that was, yeah, and I ended up um, raising. Three incredible children. They're all awesome skiers and even more so amazing human beings. They are now starting their own life paths in their own life.
0: 30 years on the ski team. And now you mentioned uh, your first marriage. I know that biking from Tahoe down to the Baja Peninsula was uh, inspired Partially by your first marriage ending, can you, can you tell where this idea came from to do this? Because like you said, you're a ski instructor. This is something definitely different than all of that. Where did the idea of bike packing or bike touring down there come from? How long ago did you have this idea and why? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: The idea originally came more from the dissolution of my first marriage. I was married for 15 years and, and uh, things just didn't work out, unfortunately. You know, it was a difficult time. Um, I was losing a home that we built, the home that we created with the family And it was a very confusing time. And a few years prior to that, we built a little palapa uh, on a Sea of Cortez in order to hopefully heal our marriage and just be together as a family. Um, So the idea to ride from one home that I was losing to the home that I loved down here in Baja came. I was at the... uh, soccer tournament with my middle daughter, Jana, up in Medford, Oregon. And uh, I always brought a bike to wherever we were so that I could go for a quick, quick bike ride during the soccer games just to get some exercise. I also always carried um, a little roomy uh, pocket size uh, poetry book It was springtime and I sat down under the apple tree and this idea literally just popped in my head that I wanted to ride from one home to another just to be alone, to figure things out, to be able to just immerse myself in a movement because I think in movement there is healing. And I needed to heal from from all the confusing things that were going on and from all the pain. But the kids were still very young at that time. So that idea that I wrote down on a back page of my roomy pocketbook just kind of stared at me for the next 15 years. And then to jump ahead, more things happened in my life. I was diagnosed with cancer. I also, uh, at first, I, I actually um, had a ski accident, which, yeah, it damaged my leg to such a degree that I was not able to coach anymore, and I wasn't able to ski anymore. And so my ski career at that point was over. And on top of that, just a few months after that, when I was still on crutches, I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, First with breast cancer, and then I, just as a routine colonoscopy, uh, revealed a bunch of polyps. So I was waiting for the removal of the colon. Things were unraveling pretty quickly. And then on top of everything else, when I was dealing with my things, my husband, my second husband, who I love to death and...
0: Love your life. As you've called he is him
1: before. absolutely the love of my life. An amazing athlete, stunningly good-looking man.
0: He's handsome. I'll give it to you. He's handsome. He's
1: <laughs> he's a stud. He's uh yeah. The reality hits pretty hard when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I was running out of time. I I wanted to do something that I've always dreamed of doing before my time ran out.
0: Can I ask you this? Uh, when you first got the idea 15 years before you did, what was there pressure to do something then? Or did you know that this idea needed to sit? Because I'm, I'm on that younger end of like kids are young and I feel like there's a lot of people in my position are people that listen to this show and we feel this pressure to do something now. Like if we don't do it now, it's never going to happen what what can you say to folks in that position maybe about patience or just about letting ideas sit for a while and, and marinate
1: you know i think you have to be realistic of what you can or cannot do in order to make other people who are in your life take the back seat just because we're selfish that we want to do something for ourselves I think it's okay to wait unless, you know, you go to the doctor and they say, hey, by the way, you're, you got, I don't know, two months to live or two years to live or whatnot. And then you have to make a decision to what you're going to do with that time. But I think it's okay to sit because we have responsibilities and we do have priorities and I I would not trade a minute I've spent with my kids. That was my life, and you cannot buy that time back. There does come the time when kids grow up and they're out of the house, and that time will never come back. I think there are ways to do adventures and with the kids and I I grew up that way we were a very active family and I raised my kids the same pack up and not have the schedule and but it's really what shapes you as a person is what you do with your kids when they are growing up just being in nature just Doing activities with them, driving them on field trips and school trips, so that you know who their friends are, who they hang out with. Uh, I always coached, you know, little soccer teams, and of course, I coached skiing, so that my kids could ski. I wouldn't trade any of those moments for anything that I have done on my own and by myself later on. I don't know if I got that point. If if that makes sense
0: it makes perfect sense that these moments, the thing that's right in front of you, it's not guaranteed to be there forever is what I'm, I'm learning and taking full advantage of it right now, because there will come a time that it, it won't be an option, you know, like, especially with, with little kids like I have, uh, they're not going to be little for long. I don't understand that personally, because I haven't gone through it yet, but people are telling me that I'm trying to, learn from that advice rather than saying, no, I need to do adventures now. Adventures will always be there much longer than they will be small. Um, you, you mentioned you were a ski instructor for 30 years and taught that. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an entire career that you spent doing that, that one thing. How difficult was it to reinvent yourself in a moment when you had that accident that was uh, from, from some really bad weather? I heard you tell that story in another podcast. What was that like, having that door almost slammed in your face in a way?
1: You know, life is unpredictable. Uh, things will always happen that we do not plan on or think about. Or, you know, when accidents happen, usually they happen to other people, not to us. And uh, it was difficult. The, the ski accident When, you know, blowing out your knee is not an unusual thing for any of the skiers. I mean, that's a pretty common occurrence. My issue was more that the uh, surgery went bad uh, and my femoral nerve got damaged uh, and is still damaged. Uh, I still suffer pains from uh, cramping when I overexert and I still have no sensation in my quad. Those things you don't, you know, plan on it. And I think what I'm learning and what I have learned through my adversities in life is that we are adaptable. We have to keep moving forward one way or the other, and we have to find a new way. And I did have to build a new identity, being a ski coach and being involved in other young people's lives and being a mentor was something that was me I that was my identity and when I lost that I had to find something new and different that that I could you know put my all my energy into and for me that was writing and I kind of discovered that by default as well. When I started writing the blog, just to share uh, my experiences, I thought, okay, I'll just throw it out there and see what happens. And that took a lot of courage, but I got really good response and people were able to relate. I think if you have stories, not in a sense, you don't send, uh, I didn't want to share the kind of stories like, oh, poor me. I really wanted to share more of the stories of what can you do to come out of this situation that you are in and to not to sound overly philosophical. Yes, you suffer and you you just have to keep going and, you know, life goes on and if you're fortunate enough that you are surviving what what you have gone through, then you know you're just a little bit stronger in those broken places. Um, so yeah, I had to rebuild my identity, and um, you know, I've I have kind of taken a new direction and uh, thrown myself everything that I had, including. <laughs> all my finances uh, Mm -hmm. into, you know, learning, learning to be a new me. And that's, that's hard to do at any age. But you know, when you're over 50, it can be a little scary. But it's also the most rewarding thing when you realize, ah, you know, I have some life still left in me. And it feels good when you're learning something new. When you reinvent yourself, and you find joy in in the new thing, it's very powerful.
0: Very powerful. In fact, I, I want to ask some more about that. So you had this career raising children. Life is good. You, you had a ski accident right around then. You got you realized you had breast cancer and I found out or I heard a story that when you were told by the doctor that you had cancer, you were on the phone and, and right when they said that a bird crashed into your window that you were next to just coincidentally. And that was a very eerie coincidence, shocking coincidence. And it, and it was just obviously very memorable. It just happened at the same time. And then at that right around then, your, your, your husband gets Parkinson's. Uh, how did you feel through all this in the sense of like, did the, did the bike tour seem easy in comparison to all this, or at least like a a relief in a way, just go out and do something, think about something else. Uh, Maybe it was more possible at that point than it was even 15 years ago from a mental approach, if you know what I'm saying.
1: There is uh, an old Chinese proverb, uh, without coincidence, there is no, no story. And I think, again, you have to deal with yeah that bird slamming into the window really shocked me into reality when you you're looking at a dead bird at the doorstep and you pick it up and you go wow this bird was just alive a moment ago and this is me this this is me if i don't go and do something i don't think i that thought came to me right, right away. Obviously, I was in shock that, you know, uh, I'm screwed. I, you know, this is the end of my life. That was really my first thought. Then you just kind of have to go through the motions. And one day at a time, one step at the time, when I went through treatments, uh, it was grueling. It was difficult. And then on top of that, then, you know, I was basically waiting to have my entire colon removed. When I decided to, when, you know, when I got a little bit better, when my health uh, was, you know, slowly, ever so slowly coming back, the possibility of riding the bike, really, I I needed to get away to feel alive because I didn't feel that I have that energy that i've always had that internal fire burning and joy i became kind of depressed and complacent and that scared me more than anything not caring about things not caring if i lived i think i needed to have something bigger in front of me that i could put my mind to and my physical body and uh I know this is going to sound really probably stupid, but I am a pretty lazy person. I am not a disciplined person. And I thought, well, if I go on this long bike ride, I'll get in shape. I'll be able to write uh, along the way about my experiences, and that will be healing. I was really hoping that the muscles on my damaged uh, leg would Come back during the ride that didn't quite happen but that's a different part of the story I suppose um, but it was you know it, it was just once I got the idea I just couldn't get rid of it I at that point I really knew that I had to do it on the other hand my husband didn't believe I was going to do it until the very day when I rode away from our house in Tahoe
0: and I heard that he didn't support it he, d- he didn't really want you to do it either
1: no, he he did not. He, he did not want me to do it. He thought it was crazy and he was just very worried about me. I understood that. I respected that. But for the first time in my life, I really felt I needed to do something for myself. I've always been taking care of other people. I've always been taking care of of the kids and the kids were grown up and on their own. And it, it was a, you know, I allowed myself to be selfish um, because with his Parkinson's, I knew that he was still in the stage where he could take care of himself. You know, it was a window of opportunity. um, And I, I just had to do it
0: not having that support from a spouse would keep a lot of people from doing it. I, I would have a hard time leaving if my wife wasn't supportive. I am very thankful. She is very supportive of adventures and in, in times away. Um, but that'd make it, that would make it a lot more difficult, but you felt so strongly about it and so right about it. And it wasn't w- so, something typical for you, even that maybe it was just shocking for him. But, um, I do, I do want to say, too, you, you, you are not a planner. You are self-described as lazy. I, re- I feel like I, I need you as a mentor because I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I don't plan ahead very much at all, and I, I would say I'm fairly lazy, too. I'm not disciplined, and I, and I always kick myself for, for that. What, what, what are some tricks and tips you've learned about achieving things while not being naturally a very disciplined person? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, like, I will never you know, like people say, "Oh, you must work out regularly. I don't work out. I do sports. You know, I, we, I also live in Lake Tahoe where there's a lot of Uber athletes and a lot of the times I feel like, oh my God, I, I am just such a wimp. You know, they're just, you know, in today's world, if you over plan and then things don't work out, there's just disappointment. I think I've always been more spontaneous type of a person and my husband is as well. Um, and uh, I think we're a very good match in that. I have to trust myself that I am a very resourceful person, and maybe in romanticized way, you know, when when I was I read a lot of adventure books, you know, like Shackleton and you know John Muir, and uh, just two examples of traditionalists of uh, people that. I mean, John Muir didn't plan where he was going to go, and he figured things out. And he listened to nature, and he listened to his own abilities. And like I said, I don't want to be over-romanticizing, but if we rely too much on technology and planning everything ahead to where we're going to spend the night, and then i think we lose some things along the way and i think that is the heart of the adventure is that you see things for what they are when they happen and you know if you have to scramble behind the first rock that you find to set up you know your sleeping bag and and survive the night from the bears walking around you you know, in California, they're actually. I think the bears are not that dangerous. If if they were grizzly bears, I I'd, I I'd, I'd think twice. Right, right.
0: No grizzlies in California.
1: Yeah, I think you just have to be resourceful and trust yourself and trust your intuition. Just go for it. I think if we over plan and over analyze, we're never going to do anything. And that's kind of my philosophy. I would never had gotten on the plane when I was. Tw- 20 years old with just a backpack and a pair of skis. And I have, I have to say I admired my parents. Um, They, they let me do, you know, where a lot of parents would say, no, you're too young to do that. You can't just go by yourself. I climbed, I traversed um, the Alps when I was 17 years old and it rained and snowed on me every day. And I don't even, I mean, I, you know, I'd be worried about my kids. <laughs> I do worry about my kids. <laughs> but my parents let me do it. And I, I, I have to thank my father particularly for having that sense of adventure and for knowing me well enough to allow me to to do that, to to trust me that I will learn from those experiences. And he gave me a tremendous gift um and i think we have to remember that when we're raising our own kids i mean your kids are young and we as today's parents we tend to maybe overprotect the kids a little bit um and kids are re- resilient they will learn especially in nature if we let them
0: well that's that's wonderful advice and uh you know we've been talking so much about life and, and, and what led up to this adventure and, and actually going out. Your husband didn't support it. Your kids are out on their own. We haven't talked much about the adventure uh, without giving too much away of the book. What could you say th- dreaming and thinking about this idea for fifteen years doing it and now reflecting on it? what could you what would you say was one thing that uh, you didn't realize would be such a big deal or a misconception you had going into the adventure. Now knowing the experience on the other side,
1: uh, if you can allow me just one quick back uh, step, if I can just say about my husband, because I don't want him to come across like, oh my, that he wouldn't let me go or that he wasn't supportive. I think he was just really worried. He was hoping that I was gonna just change my own mind. He never says, oh, you shouldn't do this. But he let me, you know, do my own collection of the gears, setting up the bike and all that. He didn't participate in that. So I think if something happened so that he wouldn't feel responsible. (laughs) But he's very loving, caring, deeply caring person. I don't want people to think that he's just very worried. As far as, you know... When we were talking about not planning too much, I think subconsciously I didn't want to overplan or look ahead too much because I didn't want to get discouraged because it was a pretty big deal of a trip, especially going through the mountains. And when I started poring over the maps and looking at all the mountain ranges and especially if you zoom into Baja from Google Maps, uh, from above, I mean, it looks pretty daunting, and he, I just again had to just figure it out on my own as I went. Otherwise, I was afraid I was gonna, you know, get discouraged. Uh, had I known how much climbing is there going to be on the average, three to five thousand vertical uh, feet of climbing, there it was. On a, on a heavy bike, and I weighed, when I left, I weighed 110 pounds. My bike, without all the water uh, and everything that I had on that I needed for for remote areas of the trails, my bike weighed 65 pounds. And then, you know, for the sections, when I needed a lot of water, there was 20 pounds extra to that. So if I even think about that back, I'm pretty amazed that I was able to do it. Uh, And I think to summarize my experience, we are capable of so much more than we think we are. We are resilient. uh, We can deal with things in life that life throws at us that we never thought that we were able to get through. Somehow we have to and we can dig deep into the parts of ourselves that we don't know are there and those are i think that's what the true adventure also brings out in us it's not all fun by any means if we can trust that we have that side inside of us that that we have that ability to cope and to deal with adversities, that can only give us strength when life gets tough. And I think that is in the heart also of every adventure that we learn our limits, that we learn to deal with uh, our adversities. And we're usually we're surprised of how much we're able to deal with.
0: Because to me, you know, dealing with normal life sometimes the the folks I hear who do these amazing adventures, it's it's their normal life that I'm more impressed by because that's not nearly as you know fun to talk about or nearly as uh, aspirational for a lot of people. But it's it's much harder, partially for that reason, in in my opinion.
1: I think maybe going on this bike ride it also allowed me to focus only on. The most important things of the day, which is getting from point A to point B, food, water, staying warm or staying cool for that matter, because the extreme temperatures on both ends. I think that is also why people go and climb the mountains and do sports or arts, because it only allows you to focus those things that are right in front of you at that very moment it's that zen moment we don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves you just have to do it you know even if you're just sitting in meditation where you're allowed to just focus on the moments that are in front of you yeah i think i agree with you life in on a daily basis, especially, you know, when you got kids and if the kids are sick and if, you know, your spouse is sick, it can be very quickly overwhelming. Uh, and maybe that is a, you know, a bit of a selfish move that, that I did, That but I needed that to survive on my own. I needed this bike ride so I can come back and be a whole person again. To, to be there for my kids to be there for my grandkids and for my husband and for you know people that I love my family
0: oftentimes adventure lead, leads to ideas for more adventure but for you i I don't know if there's something else on the horizon that you would like to do if this opened up like I could do this experience or this adventure or go from here to here on by bike do, do you feel like there's another, idea in your pocket now, or are you for the moment satisfied with what you've completed? I'm sure the book itself was very difficult to get done. I feel it here. A lot of ventures say that's even harder than the adventure itself is writing the book. I don't know. T- t- tell us where you are now.
1: Uh, I have been asked before and, you know, I, I, Yes, of course, I would love to have more adventures. There's definitely that side of me that I wanted to, you know, I read, I I met some uh, New Zealand mountain bikers from New Zealand that uh, were doing Baja Divide uh, after I did it. And I invited them to stay at our house here in Baja and we became friends. And from here, they rode all the way to Panama and I just wanted to jump on a bike and go with him. I also have to be realistic to where we are in life at the moment because uh, uh, my next adventure is basically my it, take, being there for my husband uh, because he's going to need me more and more. At this point of my life, uh i think the adventures are going to be with him and we are going to travel and do things as much as we possibly can while we can and then i just have to go day by day and uh, see what life throws at me this summer is going to be an adventure just traveling around uh, doing a a book tour in our van and uh, we have a fun times already planned for the summer for for that yeah we just have to adapt to what kind of adventures we can do together while we can far as solo adventures who knows what life brings but uh, at this point uh, my focus is my husband and for the time being this book to bring it to people and to share it with people and hopefully inspire people to go on their own adventures while, while they can, whatever that is.
0: Beautiful. I love it. Is there a place you would like for folks to pick up the book specifically, anywhere you want to point people over another place?
1: Uh, I really like it when people support their own uh, local bookstores. Ingram Publishing Company is a uh, distributor of the book so it's it's in the system the book's title is She Rides Chasing Dreams Across California and Mexico so if if you walk into your local bookstore they can find it and order it but of course it's also available on uh, Amazon and anywhere else the books are sold i have a few links on my uh, author's website, which is just AlinkaVricic.com to where you can actually click and either order from independent booksellers or from uh, the other sources like Amazon, the other, I have a few of them listed on my website.
0: Alinka, thank you so much for telling your story on the adventure sports podcast, at least part of it. Um, folks, I real I tried my best not to spoil anything in the book, uh, but folks, really check it out. It's it's a lot of wisdom, a lot of humor, a lot of adventure, and it's something that I hope everybody listening to the show gets to gets to go on sometime an extended period of adventure that uh, they've they've been thinking about and dreaming about for a really long time. I hope their life opens up in that way, and they and they take the chance. So thank you for telling us about how you, how you took that chance and took that risk.
1: Mason, thank you so much for this opportunity to share my experiences um, and I hope that I could inspire people to follow their own dreams and go on their own adventures because life sure is one big adventure It's fun, and it's not always easy, but uh it's fun
0: oh from from one uh lazy person to another it 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 uh you give me inspiration. <laughs> Knowing that it's okay, it's okay to not be, not be type A all the time, you know.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it's okay to just cuddle up with a good book and read, and uh, and look at the stars or look at the sun and the ocean and uh, be with your be with your people. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Thanks for your time. Yep. All right. Bye. First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com and until then get out there and have some fun